today I get the great opportunity here to wrap up this sermon series called Restoration, Life in the Spirit uh, Amidst Racism. We've been looking predominantly through the book of Acts today. As Lauren just said, we're going to be looking at Acts 6 as kind of just a lens on which to understand more of what the Spirit wants to do in us as his people. So let me pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for this moment. We thank you for your church. We thank you for your scripture. And God, we thank you for your spirit. And so as we settle in now, Lord, to what you want to say to us, would you take this old story and make it new again? Would you take this experience that the church had 2,000 years ago and make it meaningful for us today? What does this mean for us? God, in our schools, in our jobs, in our families, in our church. Lord, how do we be people of your spirit amidst racism and brokenness and despair? How are we people of hope being transformed by your great love? Lord, speak to us again. We know you will, so help us listen. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Our title today is called A Church Like That. A Church Like That, as we look at Acts 6, this life in the spirit amidst racism, this series called Restoration. I'll tell a story as we begin. A story from a campground called Robbers Creek, Oklahoma. Robbers Creek, Oklahoma was the site of one of the most famous social science experiments of the last century. In 1949, an immigrant named Musamar Sheriff Ick, uh, he coordinated experiments uh, with grad students to understand hatred and discrimination in America, dealing with prejudice and stereotypes. And his, his study was based on a realistic conflict theory. In 1954, Sheriff and his, his wife and their grad students uh, rented a campground at Robbers Creek, Oklahoma, and they started a camp under the ruse of a free camp for kids to study discrimination under this theory that conflict raises when fighting happens for limited resources. Sharifik had this idea that if you brought different kids together, uh, you could actually create hatred, create conflict by making them compete against one another. Now, the boys were all 10 and 11 years old. Uh, They were all white from a similar kind of demographic. So the study wasn't actually about racism. It was more kind of about hatred and discrimination. And as Pastor Liddy did so beautifully last week, talking about, you know, discrimination is an aspect of hatred that seeks to diminish the Imago Dei in others. We see this discrimination in a lot of different ways as we discriminate against people of different abilities, different genders, different sexualities, just anything that we use to diminish what God has done in somebody's life. But this series in particular, we've been particular about racism. Back to Robbers Creek, Oklahoma. Sharifik had this concept that conflict would arise when different groups competed for limited resources. 22 kids between the ages of 10 and 11 and 12 years old, didn't know each other before, brought together, and they went through a season of building identity. They made flags, they made chants, and then they started to compete against the other group. They were cut in half. It was the eagles against the rattlers. And as these boys who didn't know each other at the beginning of the week, as they started to compete against the other group, the eagles, the rattlers, they began to have conflict. They began to have aggression 
After a baseball game, they, one of the boy, groups of boys burned the other boy's flag. That set off conflict where now the other group went and raided the other cabin. There was even fistfights. And the researchers, you would never get away with this in this day and age, the researchers were, were like literally needling these boys to see how high the conflict would raise against the other boys. Sharific's concept was that we could, by creating an otherness in another group of boys, you can raise discrimination and hatred, but in the same way, with a shared obstacle or a shared opponent, you can build unity. With a shared uh, distraction or something that was limiting your ability to thrive, it would bring disparate groups together. And at the end of the week, they put a huge challenge before the boys, and Sharific's research played out. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Amazing how when we think about that study from 1954, what does it mean for 19, I'm sorry, for 2022 America? I'm showing my age a bit. How easy we turn on each other. How easy, and we've seen this even in the church, maybe some would say especially the church in recent years, we've lost sight of what brings us together. We've lost that unifying power of the Spirit in order to be that good news of the world. We have taken the bait instead of the opponent being the enemy, the liar, the, you know, the, the Satan, Satan, who wants to diminish the image of God in each other. We've, we've somehow turned on one another and we've turned into camps. I used this language a couple weeks ago from this outside consultant. He said, much of the church has moved to this self-righteous liberalism or this reactionary conservatism and the church is moving towards these two poles. But in this series... As we've studied the book of Acts, we've sought to find the unifying power of the Spirit that we would be the church taking up God's good news again, that we would be both this place of justice and evangelism, that we'd be a place of truth-telling and grace, that we would be God's chosen people together. And as we look at Acts 6 today, there's an invitation for all of us to look in the mirror and to say, Okay, God, where are you leading me to be a bridge builder into different ethnicities, different people who've been discriminated against? God, how will your Bible teach me in my family, in my relationships with my roommates to be a person of hope? How will my justice and my evangelism become one thing? How can I be a person of that good news. Acts 6, which we'll we'll use today to wrap up the series, becomes this, this viewpoint for us of this vibrant faith community that's, yes, growing church, but rising conflict putting together a new system so that conflict and and hatred and discrimination is tamped down in order that there would be a new unity. And that the gospel can flourish in a community like that. And so when we say, like, I want to be a church like that, it's really easy to read, you know, Acts and say, like, oh, they had it so much easier. And they actually didn't. I've been very comforted in looking through Acts through this last five weeks and see that even in this beautiful early season of the Spirit doing all sorts of amazing things, conflict is present constantly. But how do we be a church like that? 
that the Spirit is doing this new and powerful work to give us a voice against racism, speaking out against injustice, and bringing new people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So if we're going to be a church like that, there's three things that we're going to talk about today that we need to be a church and people that's really full of the Holy Spirit. That we need to be a church and people that's leading in structural change if there are people that are being tamped down and discriminated against. And finally, that we need to be a church and people that sees others, that shares stories and connects deeply to each other in relationship. And the great thing about this series, the great thing in wrapping up in Act 6 is we see this mix of a church like this, a place of justice and discipleship. And it is my belief as your pastor, as your leader, that restoration by the Spirit will enable us as Jesus followers to grow in numbers and take care of marginalized people and take serious the call of preaching the gospel and prayer and caring for others and reconciliation. Let's be a, a church like that. So let's, let me start with this first point. And it's been so beautiful to be looking over and over again what the Holy Spirit does uh, in Acts if we're going to be a church and a people that's a church like that, that's doing this incredible work about justice and evangelism, that we need to be a church full of the Holy Spirit. The restoration will always be in response to what God is doing first, through God's Spirit. As I just mentioned, conflict here is uh, all over Acts, here in Acts 6, that there's a growth of the gospel. Verse 1 talks about an increase, and then there's this tension that's coming, and people are being discriminated against, these different groups of widows. And what the disciples are looking for is they're saying, we need people who are full of the Spirit, who can lay hands on other people to both disempower systems of, of discrimination, but also uh, enable the Spirit to do new things, the freeing of God's power. If you look at Acts 6, verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And church, there's no activation plan. There's no, there's no justice plan. There, there's nothing without the Spirit of God. Like by our best efforts, we become just a tier two organization trying to model something we see in culture. But by God's spirit, we have both our call and our power source to be people of justice in the world. Act 6 models that. They're looking for somebody to care, for, to, to disempower this, this, this bitter dispute that's taken place between the different groups of widows. But what are they looking for? They're not looking for like who can wade the most tables. Like who's full of the Holy Spirit? If you're full of the Spirit, you're going to be attuned to where the Spirit's leading you. And this mix between full of the Spirit and people of justice, I got to tell you, it's so emboldening for me right now. It's so enlivening for me. It's so encouraging for me. Because again, that, that self-righteous liberalism, that reactionary conservatism, I feel like we see this kind of played out for us and spoon-fed towards us that there's only really, you know, one option. You're going to be a person of prayer, person of justice. And, you know, these are the feeds we react to so often on social media. But here in Acts 2, it's so beautiful that we need more of God's Spirit to actually get our voice back. We have to get our voice back. Francis Chan, he's wrote this great book called the Holy, you know, about the Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God. And Chan says, some people would like it if I said we're going to find a healthy balance between unhealthy extremes. That's not what we're going to do. When we're referring to a God balance, it's a huge mistake. Is it possible to get enough or even too much of God? 
When I read scripture, I see the truth and necessity of a life, get this, fully surrendered to and dependent on the Holy Spirit. A life surrendered to and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. This is really encouraging to me to see this lived out in the call to justice by God's people because of the Holy Spirit. And as your pastor, I have zero desire to lead a movement that is relevant uh, to, to culture. I want to be a, a group of people depended on and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And because of what the Spirit's doing in us and through us, now we're like caring upon, you know, the, the, what's happening in the church and other parts of the world in this great movement of, of persecution against Christians. Or here in our own country with people that have been discriminated on by racism. We say, that's not what God's up to. No, so because I'm listening to the Holy Spirit, I have something to say against systems that oppress the image of God and other people. And what they, what they see here is they see people are being overlooked, is Acts 6. The verse is people are being overlooked. There's two groups of widows. They're one group being overlooked. I think it's really powerful because so many of us in the room, there's times and seasons where we can, we can feel invisible. And you don't have to be a person of color to feel invisible. That happens in relationships. That happens in ageism. It happens in other forms of discrimination. And as we've kind of made a case over these last four weeks, it, it happens to people of color in our American society. So our voice is forged by the Holy Spirit speaking to us, giving us a voice saying, who has been overlooked? How do we regain that prophetic call to justice because we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit? I showed this image before about what happened at Pentecost when no less than 14 nations came to Jerusalem because they were so confident that God was going to do something there. They were there at Pentecost. They were there for Passover. 14 different nations from around Africa, Asia. I mean, they're all flocking in. And as I see that, it reminded me of what God does as we seek Jesus at the middle. Filled by the Holy Spirit, there's a new unity in our community. Henry Nouwen gave this great lecture to a bunch of, a bunch of monks that he was living with at the uh, Abbey of Genesee in upstate New York. And this is the, Henry Nouwen's talk on the wagon wheel. I found it really inspiring because what Nouwen talks about is that all of us at seasons go through this, you know, this like being overlooked. But as we seek Christ at the center, we'll be in proximity to people who are different than us. Christ at the center. This is, we don't seek, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion as our goal. We don't seek just to be like, oh, let's be that justice church. No, we seek Jesus. We seek a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. We seek that center point that's God. And from that center point, we look to our left, we look to our right, and there is a new community of God's disciples, people that we would never be in fellowship with without the Spirit of God. That was the picture of Pentecost. That's a picture for a church like this. That we, as we see Christ at the center and a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit, it enables new gospel relationships. The people that we would never come into contact with, they're like, man, I'm hearing your story, your culture, your family of origin, the, the immigrant, the outcast, the marginalized, the broken, the widow, all of it in the fellowship of Christ, our community, seeking Christ at the center. We need to be a church 
filled with the Holy Spirit, friends. And from that center point becomes our mission of relationship. The second thing that a church like this really needs to be about is a church and people that's leading in structural change. So restoration as a congregation, restoration as God's people, will require bold leadership for the sake of the gospel. We see this played out in Acts 6. In verses 2 through 5, the 12 gathered the disciples together. They said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wise, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them. And then we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. And then it says, this proposal pleased the whole group. See, the leadership, they, they see the problem. They gathered the people. They identified people that were being marginalized. They created structural change. They anointed new leaders who disempowered discrimination. They put new systems into place to care for all for the sake of the church. It, it's great leadership. And this call to be a church like this, like they model. They, what's not happening here is some priority of the spoken word over the, the service word. It's really just a kind of a, an anointing of all of us and all of our gifts. Most of you will not be called to put a microphone in your hand and preach to the masses. Many of you will be called to serve others in your daily life. And through your daily life service, through cooking and serving and opening your homes and making relationships with that new family on the soccer team, with stepping into your PTA association, with volunteering at a neighborhood pickup of trash, you are living the gospel. So it's not about like, let's get more people onto the stage. What this verse is about is real leadership's needed in order to, to, to be people that are leading in structural changes. It, there's this murmuring that's happening here in Acts 6. The people are murmuring, and the disciples are listening. Murmuring is the same word that ancient Israel, when they were in the desert, they were murmuring against God. Like There's a, there's a whole thing about how we're given over to a murmured-type life, and kind of we should be watchful. If the words of our mouth and the meditations of our mind are mostly murmuring, mostly negative about our church, our family, our school, like if we become people kind of steeped in negativity, we lose our witness. But the disciples here, they, they listen to where there's discrimination in the widows. Two groups of widows, the, the Greek widows and the, and, and the Jewish widows. And just like that picture showed, this wagon wheel concept, this was happening all over the, uh, the Mediterranean. People would flock to Jerusalem, particularly older age, because as they aged, the, these people that came to the Jewish faith wanted to be buried in and around Jerusalem. Men had a shorter lifespan than women, so more and more widows were in Jerusalem. But this amazing thing happened in the early church. When you came to Christ, much like what's happening in the marginalized church around, around the world right now, when you came to Christ and were baptized a Christian, your family of origin often would cut you off. You're not part of our social structure anymore. If you're going to be a Christ follower, you're out of the family. And so there was this real need for justice to be done. There were these older widows who now had no system of care. And because of the patriarchy of the first century, most of them couldn't just go down to Walmart and get a job as a greeter. They needed their brothers and sisters to care for them. There was real marginalization that was happening. And so leadership here that, that was 
you know, kind of the call of like, we can't just sit by and let people be discriminated against. We can't just tune out when there's real needs at play. We have to be leaders that are doing the real work of justice. Dr. King says this, a genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. A genuine leader. And any of you that are Jesus followers in the room, you're a genuine leader. This isn't like, oh, you need a job in a church. Kind of the opposite. We're all the priesthood of all believers. And as a church, keep pressing into justice and evangelism, reconciliation and discipleship. It takes bold leadership. What do we do? Like, how, make this practical, Scott. One of the things that we learned from Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil is this concept of a circle of concern and a circle of influence. And I think we have this image here. It's super simple. But a circle of concern versus a circle of influence is that if we want to be people of justice in our community, like we can, we can write anything in that circle of concern. Man, I'm worried when I read about what's happening in Iran and persecuted Christians. I'm worried about, you know, systemic racism in my country if I, you know, track, you know, incarceration rates. I, we can just put all the things that you're concerned about. But then inside that circle is the thing of where do you have influence? Where do you have relationship? Where do you have agency? Where do you have voice? And for a lot of Christians, their circle of concern is quite big, and their circle of influence is a little bit too small. I want to anoint you, the church like that, the church that's doing the real work of reconciliation. Increase your circle of influence. Think about where you have relationship. Think about where you're volunteering. Think about places where you can be the good news of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee everyone in this room, your circle of influence is larger than you realize. At your work, on your bus, in your school, in your marriage, in your dating. We're all concerned with much. To be a church that's really that justice-minded church, we are called to increase our circle of influence. It was Desmond Tutu who said, there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why people are falling in. So the work of influence as a church filled with the Holy Spirit, doing this leadership work of like, where is there discrimination? Where are people being left out? How do I kind of preach about the image of God in my actual life? This is upriver work. This is work to say, like, God, where can my influence be used in order to grow your kingdom by being a person of justice? The Robbers Creek experiment, Sherific, who thought, I could take two groups of boys and get them to hate each other, but with a shared purpose, an obstacle, love can overcome hate. He, he, he constructed this as part of the Robbers Creek experiment, that at the end of the week, these boys that the researchers had turned into just vitriol against each other, they said, there's a new foe. There was a, a, they cut off water to, to the camp. They said there was a rock slide. I believe they even blamed another third party. There's another group of boys, even worse than those boys. And there's an obstacle. What? The boys said, you got to go up the mountain and go up the mountain together or there'll be no water for you. And the boys were thirsty. Again, 
research you would do in 1954 that you could never do today, right? <laughs> and sure enough, the researchers watched. These boys went up the mountain. They found the water source, this, you know, the, the water line pinched by this rock slide, and the boys started to work together. And then they realized the fastest way to remove the obstacle was literally to create like a chain gang type thing and remove the stones together. It's actually like a made-for-TV type thing. You can almost see it coming. And in later years, Shrifik's research has been lampooned a bit because he laid his theory onto the group and then researched it. Medical researchers say you'd never do research like that anymore. You have to start with the blank slate. But what's not told about Robbers Creek is that Shrifik, the year before, had done a different research that failed completely. It was called Midler's Grove not Robbers Creek. And they had the boys, and they had the research, and they had the plan, and then they put the boys, and they rode to camp together, and they spent the first couple days building relationship, and then they put them into different camps. And then they made camps, the Eagles and the Rattlers, and then they tried to instigate all the hate, and they just couldn't do it. The research was a failure. Sherific was enraged. His research assistants were befuddled, Why can't we get these boys to hate each other? Because they had ridden to camp together that first year in Midler's Grove. They had known each other's names. They had known each other's stories. They had known what made each other tick. So then when the external forces started to like, let's hate each other, like, not going to do it. Because they were closer aligned to a center point about their shared humanity. So what are we called to as God's church? It's this real leadership that builds relationship, that that loves each other despite our differences, that kind of doesn't take the bait when culture says, because you voted a certain way, or you came from a certain country, or you have a different skin tone, we just say, for the sake of our fellowship in Christ, no, not happening. We're not going to turn on each other, and we're not going to be part of that experiment. We're not going to do it. So a church like this is a church full of the Spirit, a church that's doing real leadership, and that's where we want to kind of close, is that a real church that's called to be this church of the Spirit amidst racism is a place that sees each other, that listens to stories, that tells the truth, that loves deeply this place of radical relationship, seeking the center point that is Jesus Christ, enlivened by His Spirit. That's what happens in Acts 6, and it was very powerful. They, they, they were looking for the Spirit to do something new. They put a new system in, and then the growth of the gospel continued. The growth of God's work in, in the early church just continued. It happens in verse 1, the church was growing. It happens in, in verse 7, the church was growing. An interesting little thing, I don't know if you caught it in Lauren's reading. In verse 7 of Acts 6, it says that there was this massive growth in the church, and even the priests started coming to Jesus Christ. It was like the work started in the people, and then the priests, part of the old Jewish system, is like, Wow, God's Spirit is doing something more powerful than even our minds can comprehend. And they started giving their hearts and minds over to Jesus Christ. This is the church of Jesus for the season ahead. This is that church in the Spirit amidst racism that has this powerful witness of relationship. 
that sees others, that listens to others, that has different kinds of relationship, that's a group of people seeking the center point, not of our political affiliation, but of Jesus Christ. And from that center point, from that shared fellowship, there's a proximity. Act 6, there's a laying on of hands, a confirming of the Spirit, a new unity, a passion to see the church grow. It's beautiful. I want to be part of a church like that. I want to say that we're becoming a church like that. A church learning to depend on the Holy Spirit more than just our exegesis. A church that can say, yeah, there are systemic pressures against people of color in our society. And because the Bible says so, we have a voice for justice. We want to be that center point, this place of justice and evangelism saying, in Christ, all people have purpose and meaning and hope and satisfaction. It's a church that regains its influence. It's a church that disciples the next generation. It's a church that says, yeah, we're becoming a people like that. That's how Acts 6 speaks this new system. It says there in like verse 5 or 6, they had this proposal and it pleased the whole group. And as we studied this week with all the pastors from all six of Bethany locations, they're like, well, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That like any leader would say something that pleased the whole group. I want to say a word of blessing over you. I recognize that for some, this series has been just difficult for a lot of different reasons. And maybe the last four weeks haven't altogether been pleasing or pleasing the whole group. But as we conclude and enter a new series next week on the power of Sabbath and rest, I want us just to declare that we are growing in a dependence on the Holy Spirit. We are people that are people of great justice because the Bible has commanded us to be, but our justice is our evangelism. We're not trying to be the YMCA or some sort of culturally relevant group. We want to be the church of our Lord Jesus Christ in deeper and deeper fellowship with the Father, filled by his Spirit for the Lord's sake. We're going to move into a time of worship and a time of prayer. I'm going to call the band back forward. And um, I'm going to tell you a final story as we kind of wrap up this, um, wrap up this message. We're going to have prayer team members down the front. Our worship team's going to come. We're going to sing a song called Waymaker. And Michelle would know much better than me. It's a, church, it's a song that actually came out of church in Africa, I want to believe. And it's a church, it's a song rather that we sing at times. We don't sing it all the time. But I prepared this sermon today. Just, God, what do you want to say to Bethany North right now? What do you want us to hear from you to be a church like this? And typically, Michelle and I kind of sync up a lot about the music we'll play at the end. We didn't this week. And Michelle said, hey, kind of, hey, coincidentally, we're going to sing the song Waymaker. And I said, well, that's amazing. Because at the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell a story about this church in 2020. It was a summer of 2020. For those of you in Seattle, it was one of the most confusing, difficult times. 
the Capitol Hill organized protest, and there's day after day after day of protests in our city. There's this awakening of racial discrimination and pain, and people are saying, the church should be like this, the church should be like that, and we didn't have a lot of answers, but it was Pastor Raul and I who said, let's just be a group of people that just lament structural racism and worship God. Because the scriptures are really clear. If you call upon me and repent from that place of worship, that God will restore us. From a place of confession, God can heal us. From a place of becoming God's people full of his spirit, we can become a church like that. So a bunch of us, some of you were there. We met at the Shorewood High School. It's summer 2020. There's mass and fear and all the things. We, hadn't even, we weren't even able to worship yet. The school district had kicked us out of Shorewood High School. It wasn't safe. We met in the parking lot and we walked down 185th. We walked across Aurora Avenue. Some were carrying signs. Some were carrying icons and symbols. Pastor Raul, bless his heart, he was wearing his suit, and I wasn't. (laughs) And then we walked over to City Hall, and we prayed, and we confessed. I said, God, for a lot of us, we haven't been part of systemic oppression. People like me, we didn't just, that wasn't part of our experience, wasn't part of our lived experience. But as a church, God, we repent and we confess ways that we've been complicit in any way if racial discrimination is carrying out your spirit and your people, God. We just, we repent. And we got on our knees and we prayed. And we asked you to get on your knees and you prayed. And our kids prayed. And we weren't leading something to get into the Seattle Times or on the nightly news. We were leading a worship service. And then Michelle led us in a song. And the song was called Waymaker. And in the song, there's this lyric, even when we don't see it, you're working. You never stop working. Now, how does a church worship in the summer of 2020? It's because we're firmly convinced that only by the power of the Spirit, only can we really have a voice against discrimination, but we're not trying to create a political party. We're just trying to be the authentic church. And it was beautiful. So what we're going to do now today is we're going to sing. I'm going to invite you to stand. Go ahead and stand with us. Let's get in our response pose. We're going to have our prayer team members down near the front. And as we sing this song, my invitation for you is response. In Acts 6, because of systemic oppression full of the Holy Spirit, they called seven leaders Greek leaders. It was really important that they were Greek leaders to care for the women, the Greek women who were being marginalized. And then full of the Spirit, they laid hands and they were prayed for. And I just want to, I want to invite anybody in this room that's a leader, like you need to be prayed for. You might be like, man, I feel overlooked. I'm not a person of color, but I'm discouraged. I've seen discrimination, not even racial discrimination, but my child or somebody I love. And we want to pray with you. 
So as we sing Waymaker, if you want to come forward, we would love to just lay hands and pray over you. If you want some time alone with the Lord, we are going to invite people that just want you to come forward and kneel. If you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, we want to pray for you. We want to leave you alone to pray that the Holy Spirit would anoint you. See, your efforts in your home, in your business, in your school, by your own flesh, are fleshy. Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And if you need the spirit of God to do something new in your life, something new in your leadership, something new in your family, something new in your vocation, Lord God, I need a new thing by your power of your Holy Spirit. We want to be a church like that. So we're going to invite you forward. You can step to one of our prayer ministers and they would love to just hear what's going on and lay a hand on you. You can come up here and pray. Know that there may be people that come behind and just lay a hand on you and just pray the Lord's spirit over you. If you don't feel comfortable coming forward, that's okay. Maybe even where you're standing, you'll just lay hands one on another that we would be a church seeing each other, touching each other, filled by the Holy Spirit, leading out in this city, a place of justice, a place of hope, a place of reconciliation, a place of discipleship. Does anybody else want to be a church like that? Anybody else want to be a church like that? Okay. So Lord God, as we sing, Lord, would you meet us in our hearts? Would you speak to us? Would you give us a fresh infilling, God, of your spirit? God, we don't want to just think about you. We want to experience you. And we know for some of us, Lord, we're like the dry bones in Ezekiel. Lord, rattle our bones. Would you, would you speak to us now? Would you encourage us? Lord, would you allow us to get this fresh experience where your spirit wants to take us? Lord, help us be a church like that. Even right now, we love you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord together as we sing Waymaker.